Welcome to Dawn of a New Era, a business and marketing podcast with a difference, ranking in the top 5% globally for people who want to start, scale, and grow their own business. Dawn McGrewer shares tips to improve marketing, motivation, and mindset, as well as her own real-life challenges and experiences as an entrepreneur. Guests include some of the world's most inspiring leaders too. So if you are an aspiring, established, or serial entrepreneur, this is your go-to podcast to fast-track results and rise to meet today's challenges and master the art of online influence and business success and avoid common pitfalls along the way. Never miss an episode and subscribe and listen at dawnmcgrewer.com. Oh, so we are live and streaming and this is so exciting because anyone watching this from the UK, you will see that it's dark outside. So it's midnight here with me and we are filming for episode 74 of Dawn of a New Era with myself, Dawn McGrew, digital marketing speaker, author and trainer. And guess what? We have one hell of an amazing guest with us today. We have Denise Duffield-Thomas, now self-made millionaire. We have obviously lots to talk about today. And in particular, we're going to be talking about obviously mindset and money matters. Now, um, what time is it with you in Oz today? It's not too bad. It's 9am. And it sucks having such a big time difference between our two countries because I love the UK. Um, I lived there for 10 years. And so a lot of my audience are in the UK. Mm. And I'm desperate to come and visit again soon pre-pandemic easily so probably three years but my husband's English and there's something about the UK that feels like home to me my great-grandmother was from East London and I lived in East London when I was there and what I find fascinating too is some of the cultural differences between money and you know I live in Australia now a lot of my audience is American so it is fascinating seeing how those three countries really interact around money and business sometimes. And um, I think it's a fascinating conversation. So I'm so thrilled. Thanks so much for having me, Dawn. Thank you for, for coming on. I think one of the, the biggest questions that everyone who's tuning in would want me to ask is, how did it all start? I mean, I think the thing is, is we see this journey online and, you know, it, it, it's amazing. And I think one of the posts that I saw was about your tax bill, 700,000. Yeah. And, and and for some of us, it's like, you know, that that is a very, very huge number. But where did it all begin? How did it all start? Well, if we go right, right, right back. So my, my mom had me very young. She was um, only 17. She was a single parent. And so we grew up with not a lot of money. Mm. But to be honest, I don't think that was like super traumatic in itself, right? Because I I meet people all the time and they grew up in lots of different ways Mm. with money. And everyone has money blocks. So where my particular ones came from was seeing how men in my mom's life used money as a form of power and control. And so I actually never felt a massive lack around things. I knew that there was, but it didn't bother me because a lot of my friends were in the same situation. You know, I had a lot of friends who grew up in council housing like me. Some were single parents, some weren't, but none of us were super wealthy. My mum married someone who was quite wealthy when I was 11, and they had a very volatile relationship for a couple of years. And that's where I saw the real power play come in. And I remember just thinking, I never want to be controlled. Mm. I want to make my own money. And so I kind of, I guess, started on that quest from as a teenager. I read a book called The Magic of Believing when I was 14. And it was a book about the law of attraction and how you can control your thoughts and, um, you know, manifest things into reality. And it was mind blowing to me because. I just thought, oh, well, I guess this is your life and how can you control your thoughts and how can that can how can that change anything? So I started goal setting. I watched Oprah every day after school to kind of really start to expand my worldview. But I knew I wanted to make my own money. I just didn't know what that meant. I yeah. didn't know a lot of entrepreneurs. I just didn't know how you do that. So um, I after university, I moved to London 
And I was like, I'm going to make my fortune and I'm going to marry Prince William. (laughs) That was literally like a picture of Prince William in my London diary. (laughs) And and I went through, um, just tried a lot of different things. But what I realized is I had this real fundamental belief about money I knew I could work hard. That wasn't the problem. But I just had all these inner beliefs about money that I needed to work on. I became a life coach and then a business coach. And then I wanted to start talking about money because I wanted to share with people some of the discoveries that I had made. But also I found that there were so many people, you know, like you and I, obsessed with personal development. But for a long time, I saw it as separate to money. Mm. I was like, here's personal development and here's you know, the world of wealth or wealth creation, whatever. And they they have to be separate because money's not nice or money's not spiritual. Um, so I just, I honestly just went on a quest and, you know, I wanted to share what I was learning with other people. And so I started a, a one-off course called Money Boot Camp, and we've just celebrated our 10-year anniversary. We've had 8,500 people <laughs> go wow. through that program. Wow. But it just it just started with me just going, I just want to share what I know with other people, which I think is what how a lot of good businesses start. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's been my journey. And now this is my, you know, full-time career, obviously, talking about money, which is super fun. Yeah. And I write books about it. I um, have a podcast called Chill and Prosper. That's what my newest book is called, To Chill and Prosper. And I, yeah, I help people with their money mindset. I think the thing is, is um, many of us have come out of corporate, we've gone into the entrepreneurial world, and there's that whole kind of like cultural shift, isn't there, where it's like, we have to work hard, and it's like the nine to five, and we kind of start feeling guilty if we're not kind of burning ourselves out. And I think some of the language um, that, you know, the way that you say about making money with ease, you know, it, it feels different. And I think it, there's a big shift to go through. What would you say that the, the biggest uh, money blocks are that you see from people kind of in the entrepreneurial world when they're starting and scaling and growing their businesses? Well, you nailed it, Dawn. The biggest thing is disrupting that relationship between hard work and money mm. because it's not true anymore doesn't mean you don't have to work. We know this. You and I have businesses. It doesn't just magically happen. There's a lot of logistics involved in doing anything. But it's not hard like we were raised to believe hard work is. And we've seen this too in the world that, you know, when you look at like income inequality and the gender gap, that's got nothing to do with hard work at all. So we know that's not true, that if you just work hard, someone will reward you eventually and you'll get a pay increase but we also know now that thanks to the power of the internet we can leverage our time and expertise in a way that people before never could and so in especially in the 80s and 90s if you were an entrepreneur that meant something tangible that you were selling that if you didn't have someone to bankroll you into creating it you had to get a bank loan you had to have a whole bunch of stuff selling out of your garage probably and it it was so much more related to time and and dollars effort equals reward but now we live in a time it kind of breaks our brains a little bit to think wow I can create something once especially if you sell information if you sell transformation and then heaps of people can it, it kind of just doesn't make sense to our brains even if you create something tangible these days you don't have to have your own factory, your own manufacturers, your own marketers, your own distribution channel, your own bank account to do it. It has all kind of been sorted out so we can leverage our ideas. Mm. But I still think there's this legacy guilt attached to that because yeah. the numbers don't, the math doesn't work in our brains. We're like, hang on, I can't just do, it can't be easy because it wasn't allowed to be easy. And if you never saw your your mother, your grandmother being able to earn her own money, that's a whole extra layer around that too of who is allowed to make money. And are we allowed to make money doing things that were traditionally feminine, like holding space for people? Yeah, yeah. Talk, sure. Talking to people. You know, and in my early days, I remember my little sister, who's 19 years younger than me, by the way. She, she was at my house and she was just kind of hanging around as I was doing some coaching calls and recording a few videos. And then I had someone come over to do a VIP day. And she was like, 
do these people just pay to like be your friend? Like she couldn't, <laughs> she couldn't understand. Yeah, yeah but do you yeah, know, and- coming out of corporate, it feels so alien because you know, you're used to kind of the travel, the the work, the, the everything that goes with it. And then suddenly there's this like freedom and you do, you go through a guilt process. I mean, I, I for sure did. I mean, when people talk about money and you, you talk about these, these blocks, one of the biggest things I see is about pricing and people thinking about what will someone pay or even the, well, I'm not a brand new entrepreneur. Who will book me? Who will pay for me? How do you kind of manage people past those, those mindset blocks? I think pricing is, it's one of the hardest things Mm. to overcome as an entrepreneur, but it's also the very first hurdle where it's actually an amazing opportunity to uncover some of your own internal thought processes about money because before I was an entrepreneur, I did consulting for a while and my day rate was just set by my company. Mm-hmm. And every couple of months they were like, we'll increase your rate. Oh, you did a course. Let's increase your rate. Oh, you had, you know, you've got a client experience in that now. Let's raise your rate for the next one. But then when it came to my own business, it felt really personal mm. to put a rate onto my value. It felt like I was like being too big for my boots and it felt like I was putting a value on myself as a human being Mm -hmm. which is not true right we're putting I mean pricing is so complex it comes into play what results you get for people what clients you want to serve what perception you want to have in the market it really is a made-up construct in so many ways you only have to look at the art world you know what um we've just seen in the news that someone threw cake at the Mona Lisa you know what makes the Mona Lisa more valuable than you know millions of other painters were probably better you know it's perception is so much around pricing and that's where we trip ourselves up too because we don't want to show that we have this perception oh look how look how good I am Mm. you know The other part around that is how women, and I'm talking women here because that's who I mainly serve, not exclusively, but mainly. Generally, we are conditioned to be helpful Mm. and to not expect things in return. And it's better to give than receive. And we're conditioned that way. And so then suddenly putting a price on something, we're trying to be fair. We want it to be for everyone we want to find the critic proof price that everyone feels happy at that everybody can afford how can you do that yeah you just can't so we've just put ourselves into a tears we've made ourselves feel bad we've made ourselves feel guilty and and then sometimes that then means that people are in analysis paralysis. They don't even want to start their business because they're stuck on the price. And the truth is everyone's making up their prices. And if you look at everyone else's first and then average yourself out or whatever, you're taking on all of their perceptions about money too. And considering so many of our beliefs came from our upbringing, where we grew up, how our parents talked about money, Mm. you might be pricing based on someone who has this internal view that they're not allowed to charge Mm. or it's impolite to talk about money. Let's talk about that because this is where I think the British thing comes into play, right? Is I'm an open book. I love talking about anything. And I do think that is an Australian way. We're kind of, we're not embarrassed to be a little bit crude sometimes. And we just, we just say what it is. And I think we can get away with it because it can come across as a kind of a bit charming to be that but for for people in England I found that there is a little bit more it's impolite to talk about money and money is itself a little bit maybe crude to talk about so I want to hear what do you think yeah I think it's like totally like you, you see on social uh, social media. I mean, what I love when you said about the perception, this kind of comes into the visibility piece and how people feel comfortable about stepping out and talking about their accolades and their wins and, and money. So it's so interesting. It is, it's very cultural as well, isn't it, in terms of what people believe. People feel it's a bit braggy. People feel like a bit triggered by it. But why is it not okay? Why do we have this uh, perception? And I think we should be able to talk about it. And I spoke to you about, you know, that, that post that you put out about your tax bill. You know, 
that is to me inspiring, but to somebody else that could be really quite triggering. So what is it that is the block? What, why, why do we have that perception? I, I don't know. I think there's so many layers to this and you can really go into so many different directions, which is why I love this work because I think, I'm always finding new nuances for us to consider. Mm. One could be, if again, if you look at it from a cultural point of view, it can be seen as very American Mm. to be braggy, right? The other aspect that I've noticed in England, again, we're generalizing, is Mm. you know how you guys are famous for queuing? (laughs) We love it. We love it. We love it. You ask us to queue for anything, we get in a queue. So let's look at that in context of money and business. Mm -hmm. If you feel like you have to wait your turn and you have to be patient almost, so then putting yourself out there for your business or even making big leaps in your income might kind of go against this grain of, no, 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 I wait my turn. Mm -hmm. If we look at another layer of that, um, and this is why it's so personal, If you're the youngest child in your family, there might be an unspoken rule. I can't make more money than my brother. I have to wait my turn. That's Mm. against the natural order of things. So there could be those layers. And then if we talk about things like tax, okay, so we did a massive big deep dive into tax recently in my money boot camp because I'm just fascinated to talk about different topics and how they relate to money in our lives. And so we started talking about tax and most of us have this real deep, deep fear about the tax man Mm. and getting into trouble with the tax man. And I realized my first conscious memory of that is watching um, movies like Robin Hood and seeing the sheriff of Nottingham and, you know, just all those movies set in that kind of era where the tax man would come to your house and, you know, he'd be wearing all black and he looked like an undertaker. He literally always looked like that. He's not a friendly guy going, I'm just here to collect the tax money. It's always a very traumatic experience. Mm. And oftentimes in movies, it's, it's like they don't have the money. So what happens? Someone in their family goes to jail or someone gets killed or someone gets, you know, really hurt or threatened by it. And then you used to send people on ships to Australia for not paying that. Not you personally, Dawn, sorry. (laughs) Definitely. Um, (laughs) So that lives in your consciousness of if I get into trouble, something really bad is going to happen. And my country, you know, if if you're descended from, from English people, you have that as well of something bad is going to happen. And so the reason why I talk openly about tax is because I felt that same thing when I started my business. I had to register my business with the government and I had terror like you wouldn't believe. The Australian Tax Office, so we ours is called ATO, you could have a free session with a tax advisor. Mm. And I was sweating I was sweating because, and I, because I'm just that person, I go, let's explore this. What is, what is happening? And I realized I had all these fears about, you know, growing up in the welfare system and getting into trouble. And my mom always fearing the government feeling like, especially as a young parent, she always feared, you know, my kids will be taken away from me if I speak up or, you know, she was so powerless against that system. And that lives in me, in me, in my conscious memory, as well as in my lineage. And I think even now there's this sense that the tax man is not on your side, is trying to catch you out. It's just very much embedded in culture. So I had to get over that tax feeling very early, but then it hits people at different stages. If I I see people unconsciously hold themselves back before they go to a next tax bracket, before they have to register for VAT, before they have to, you know, do all these things. And it just strikes terror into our hearts. And so we have to look at where we're sabotaging ourselves because we can't control the economy. We can't control what people think about you in your industry, in the world, as a woman, as, you know, a queer person, as a person of colour. But we can control how we feel about the fear that we have around tax or 
feeling guilty or taking our turn before someone else. All of those things we can have awareness about. Um, the other reason why I shared my tax return is because I, I guess now, you know, new money, um, self-made millionaire, whatever, it, you start to see, oh, wow, the, the system really is rigged for these people who are very wealthy and they don't pay tax. Mm. And so I do that one to show people don't be afraid of paying tax. Don't be afraid of paying a hundred dollars, you know, a hundred, a hundred pounds, a thousand pounds, your tax bill will grow as you make more money, but also to show, hang on, look, I'm, you know, someone who has benefited from having welfare in my life and benefits and that saved me and my family. And look at what I'm putting back into the, I love this. into the government's like coffers. It, it's like seeing it as a milestone, isn't it? It's like, Kind of repositioning Absolutely. our minds and thinking, you know, VAT, yay, I've got to that point that I'm earning this amount of money. It's, it's the next step. So when you think about your business and, and life side of things, when was it that you kind of got to a point where, you know, when you're growing the business, it's quite tough, first of all, and you go through hurdles. It, it's never plain sailing. You know, let's be honest, there's sometimes trials and tribulations along the way that do make us rethink what we're doing. What was the kind of the the pivotal moment or the pinnacle moment where you kind of just it felt like it was flowing? Was there like a a launch or a a, a piece in your business that kind of just it all kind of felt right? I think this is a, a great question because sometimes I think we think there's a version of us now, and there's a version of us that is different and is the perfect version. And I still have self-worth issues that I have to work on all the time. I still have imposter syndrome issues that I have to work on all the time. So it's never this thing where you just go, oh, suddenly I'm there because you have to work on the fact that you are that person, you are on the journey and you have everything you need. And so the honest answer, to be honest, Dawn, is I sold a workshop, my first paid workshop, and it was $97 and I had, um, I think, maybe 20 people in the room mm-hmm. and I had sold that by doing free workshops all over town. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, I got my hair done for the first time. I bought a new outfit and I made no money on the workshop because, of course, I over-delivered and, you know, didn't oh, take oh, all my costs into consideration, oh. all of those things. But afterwards, I was like, I had my hair done and so I went to the fanciest restaurant in town and I checked my bank account I was like okay I can get a glass of champagne and I can get like a snack and I could only afford poutine (laughs) from the menu which is which is like a Canadian thing it's cheese and fries and all that kind of stuff and I I even I never thought oh my god I'm such a loser I don't even have tons of money in my bank account to buy anything I wanted I was like I'm on my way. Mm -hmm. And I literally toasted myself and I went, more of this, please, universe, more of this. I remember that so much more clearly than when I ticked over a million dollar in revenue because I was already, it was already a done deal. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm a success. Like I really felt like that. And I think that's the kind of level of almost delusion, but you have to be in your own corner right from the start because it is tough and it is a mindset game and as I said I still you know last night I was lying away worrying about things and you know stressing about stuff that's never going to go away but you can decide that you're a success story and because I was on my journey there was never any point of going I'm going to quit because it's like why would I quit I'm in it I'm on the journey and the money then you know I made six figures that first year from you know, a bit of coaching, a bit of this, a bit of that. And then I pretty much doubled it every year. So it took me five years to get to that million dollar um, mark, Australian mark. And then I think last year, we just got our figures from the financial year. I think we did 4.6 million, you know, which I don't know what that is in pounds, three, something like that. Um, And, you know, it didn't feel like, oh my God, like I think people think it's going to feel exponentially bigger. And it doesn't because you have to do that work at the start almost more. <laughs> so you yeah. have to celebrate, you have to celebrate them exponentially more at the start, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, but you know, and I, I would say too, I could probably celebrate more because even when people were like, oh, you know, you, your first book when, when you started on the shelves and I was like, yeah, it was cool. But I've been visualizing that for years. So 
it was just kind of like, oh, there it is. <laughs> yeah. The next one. And then when the second one came out and then, hey, look, you've got the third one coming out as well. I, I love this because I, I really feel that a lot of people will relate to it because it's those first initial steps that it's like when you just kind of, you know, get to it, it you feel it more, don't you? You just kind of like doing an event or doing something that just feels, feels into flow. My next question is about when you talk about how you've built this amazing sort of roadmap to abundance again, you know, that is such lovely terminology, but without burnout, I think a lot of people, me included, have experienced time where we've been really passionate about something, you know, real on it, you know, things are going well, but we don't actually know that we're entering into that burnout and we're kind of in it. And it's sometimes really difficult to get out. Have you got any advice in terms of anyone maybe listening to this, who is kind of like in that fatigue, that exhaustion, you know, how do you gear out of it? Like what's a a practical way that they can kind of manage their own self-care? Well, this is great because I still experience burnout and I still have a tendency to put too much on my plate. Like I'm completely delusional about time always. (laughs) I really am. And I think it's really funny because as you know, you launch a book, you have to do a lot of promotion for it. Right. And so it's the first of June here as we're recording this um, because we're a day ahead to you. And I've, I think I've got 35 interviews over the next six weeks. So you're the first of my June and July interviews. And I was like, man, you know, because I think I'm promoting a book called Chill and Prosper, but I still have to promote a book called Chill and Prosper. And so I think it's really easy to get out of balance, especially if you're that kind of person like I am where you just think you can do everything. So in the book, I talk about my a lot of my philosophies in business. And one of them is know thyself and prosper. Mm. And this really is the crux of the book, right? Because it's not about saying you have to do businesses in a certain way. You have to do business in a way that works for your personality. And if you know that you're someone who takes on too much, you have to put things in place so you don't do that. So one is now we can use technology mm. to as a gatekeeper. So I have it in my calendar. So I've got two interviews today, but I've set it up in my calendar so they can't be back to back. There's always space in between those things. And also I can only have four, people can only book in four a day. So that's the max interviews I'll do in a day. And if it was up to me, if someone said, oh, but Denise, can you please do it? I'd say, yeah, okay, because I'm I'm that delusional and I don't like to say no. So sometimes it's about finding those structures in place that will do it despite Mm. you. I never find time for yoga ever, ever, ever. So, and I've got the budget to do it, so that's fine. But I, I pay someone to come to my house. They knock on the door and I have to do yoga. And every week I go, I hope they cancel because I don't want to do it. But it's those other things of going, how can I just make sure that I am putting everything in place as much as possible where it's boundaries, mm-hmm. policies in your business so you don't have to be the bad cop, scripts that are already pre-written so you can say no to people. Yeah. You know, things like that are so important because otherwise we do fall into our default behaviours. Um, outsourcing, delegating, all of those things are really helpful, but it's really finding, um, doing that inner work to see how you work and where your little weak points are. And my weak points are always saying yes to things. So then I have, um, like I separate out my social media now. Mm-hmm. So I have my personal Facebook and I have my business Facebook. So when I'm on my personal It's all just cat videos and dog videos. I'm not in my inbox saying yes to things, you know. Um, And, you know, I have a a separate email that's just business email and I've got someone to do that. And I did that right at the start of my business. I paid someone just five hours a week to go through my inbox and be the the gatekeeper, Mm. you know. And that was literally my first year of business. So everyone can afford just a couple of hours of of that kind of thing. But you can use technology to put stuff in place but I I totally relate though because I do I do find myself getting into that overwork and then I have to check myself and and come back and and then sometimes you have to say no to things and that can be hard see I love this I love the honesty about the yoga you know it's like uh, I have to do PT and the only way I will be there is that because I have to pay to go there and if I don't then obviously I get charged and it's kind of like I get text and 
it, it has to happen. <laughs> if I joined a gym, I would never be there. Um, if you think about your kind of like day in the life of Denise, like what is your favorite you know, thing to do? Like, how do you love spending your day if it's not yoga? <laughs> so I have, I have my own office here that you know, looks out of the ocean. And to be honest, I, I'm obsessed with the world of business, you know, mm. so I love, I love working on my business. I love talking about it. I love writing my books. I love helping people. So for me, I just have the the dream job, you know, of of being paid to create and um and and help people. Personally, like from um like I don't have a ton of hobbies outside of my business, to be honest. But I love the freedom that I can go to the movies in the mm-hmm. middle of the day with my friends. And so I have a Thursday, you know, eleven a.m movie date with one of my friends every week and I think it is that freedom it Mm -hmm. is that freedom of going I can go to the beach if I want to I can do this if I want to and that's what I have always desired I think is I thought it was about not being able to be controlled but now I see it's it's having that freedom then to be do and have anything you want and be able to help other people Mm, totally I love it and in terms of obviously like personal development What's your kind of go-to? Are you kind of like, do you love podcasts? Do you like books? Do you kind of like a physical thing? Do you like a Kindle? What's your favorite? My thing at the moment, I actually don't read a lot of personal development books at the moment. I really feel like I went through a stage of that's all I read and same with business books. What I tend to do now where I feel like I need that extra oomph is I love listening to prolific creators. Mm. So I listen to podcasts of people who write books, write musicals, write for TV, write for movies. Um, I love autobiographies, especially from people in Hollywood or, you know, famous people, because I feel like then it doesn't feel like work. I'm not going, oh, how can I improve my improve myself all the time? But it's almost like I love just seeing that they're, they're normal and I love seeing the Sometimes they talk about money. Occasionally people will. And I'll just go, wow, like look at that money experience that they're sharing and seeing the psychology behind it is very inspiring to me yeah I listen to a podcast quite regularly it's called the Hamilcast Mm. and it's um, interviews with the creators of Hamilton and the actors in Hamilton and the singers and the dancers and each week it's someone different it could be someone who's a swing who plays all the characters or it could be the guy who does the wigs or it could be you know whatever and for me just hearing people's stories of how they made a decision to live a life of creativity and mm-hmm. what their struggles were around that. And that for me is is inspiring because it doesn't even matter that's nothing to do with me. I'll usually come off listening to that and I always have new fresh ideas. And I'm not then just, you know, fishing from the same pond that I've been fishing in for a while, which is always, you know, business and personal development. And that being said, I love whenever I'm feeling um kind of bad in myself, I'll always go back to Louise Hay's work. Mm because it's always about self-love and acceptance. And that's what I preach too, is that everything comes from self-love and acceptance. Everything else is logistics in terms of business. It's checking, checking things off the list. But if you, if you really work on that inner self-love and acceptance, then so much is possible for you because you're in your own corner. Mm. You, you do it despite the guilt, despite, you know, feeling, feeling crap. And then you're, you are in your own corner then to do it. So what was it like when you got your first book deal? Because for me, it was something I'd always wanted to do a book. And when I actually got my book deal, my proposal had gone into spam. And uh, three months later, the, yeah, Wiley got in touch and said, do you still want a contract? For me, the day that I got that, I was elated. But from the minute after, when I was writing, that was when I was in complete imposter syndrome. And, you know, I went through a process and the day that I put the manuscript in, I was just like overwrought with like anxiety. What, what was the experience like for you? Exactly the same. I'm so glad you brought that up because I think something like a publishing deal is something so many people want and, you know, that, oh, were you excited? You know, do you, and I, the honest truth is it feels horrible Mm. um and it's not even that cool you write the book and you have to go through all of that imposter syndrome then it's all the other stuff of the back and forth of the edits and then every time every time I would get an email back from my publisher with you know here's the latest round of edits I was thinking 
they're going to say this is horrible, that's the worst book they've ever read, that they hate it, that it sucks. And that just keeps on, on going. When I was recording the audiobook, I was going, people are going to, like, I'm mispronouncing words, people are going to think I suck. And then when you start promoting it, honestly, it it feels horrible. Um, yeah. I'm not going to lie. And so it's such good personal development because you have to constantly be like, if it just helps one person, it's worth it. It's okay. I don't have to be perfect. But even, um, you know, promote, and then you have to promote the book. And then I was like, oh, my God, I'm asking people to buy my book. Oh, this sucks. It's not going to be worth it. And then, of course, you get reviews and things. It's, it's a real mindset. Mm. and not many people talk about it enough so I'm grateful that you do too I know people kind of think you know like in in the wish list it's like podcast publishing contract doing all these things but the the energy and anxiety that goes in around it is massive and I think for me that like I love what you said about if just helps one people that was exactly what I was doing like the day that my book arrived and I was like unveiling it I was like thinking I've not even seen the cover but if it just helps one person even if 10 people you know buy this book and then you know you get a bestseller or something like that but it, I think people expect you to connect more with that energy and I think for me as my business has kind of grown I've maybe got more self-critical as I've kind of become more visible. And I think the thing is, is the more I've stepped out, the more I've stepped forward. It's almost like I'm giving myself more imposter syndrome as it goes through. What, what, what's been kind of um, the point in your business where you've kind of like, not regretted, but kind of like really felt like the pressure on something? Yeah, I, it's hard because I think I, I didn't feel the pressure from outside. I think I've always felt the pressure from inside of going, you know, this isn't good enough, or I'm not good enough. And so I, I've been really lucky that I haven't experienced a lot of hate, Mm. or hate mail or haters or trolls. Yeah. And it's been it's in even when it has happened, the odd times it has happened, I've just kind of gone, Oh, well, that's fine. That's your opinion. Like with not even like, Oh, that's your opinion. It's like, well, I hate stuff too. Like I would never be impolite enough to tell someone but hey you do you and so it's never really landed in a way that has made me feel bad about myself because I've I do enough of that myself so I know that I can't control them I can only control myself I would say that I there's a couple of things I regret a little bit so in the last 10 years as I've built that business I've also had three kids Mm. and I put a lot of pressure on myself when I was you know, having those babies to to still show up and, and perform. And yes. I did a lot of, you know, prep and batching and things like that. But I definitely had that pressure on myself of going, oh, my audience is not going to like me if I don't show up for them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I wish I just was just a little bit gentler on myself. And that's not even saying, oh, I wish I took more time off. It was just more, I just wish I just was a little bit gentler mm-hmm. um, with myself and just gave myself a little bit more grace which I should do now as well, right? Because I'm still hard on myself all the time. Mm. Yeah. It's tough, isn't it? And I think what I love is the complete transparency of like you being honest and open about these things because I don't think people talk about it enough in terms of, you know, how you feel, self-worth, self-doubt, imposter syndrome. They're all things that people think that you have and then they, they move off. They don't. In terms of obviously the, the the money mindset side of things, if somebody is in a point of difficulty, you know, and they feel stuck, you know, I feel like there's a lot of people since the pandemic that have kind of got to a fatigue and it's kind of like they really just don't know how to get out of that. Is there any advice that you could share that you can maybe just help someone kind of move in, in, in small shifts to, to change that, that feeling? Absolutely. And I think we have to be so careful in the personal development world to not deny the realities of our world. And it's tricky when you're in a situation where you do feel the lack because it could be completely real for you and someone's saying, oh, you know, just just do some affirmations and everything's going to be okay. And it, sometimes it's, it's not. Um, and so baby steps of things that you can do. I talk about this in Money Boot Camp creating a first-class life. And that's different for everybody. But we actually do it incrementally with Mm. what we have at our disposal right now. So you might find something in your life that makes you feel particularly 
poor or stressed or inconvenienced. And that's where you can direct your energy to upgrade it just to the next level. And it could be something that you don't even necessarily have to buy. It could be something that you borrow or something that you declutter. Sometimes it's better to have the absence of the friction before you can afford to to buy something better. And sometimes it's the smallest thing. And I've heard this from people at all income levels. Sometimes it's just like, it actually didn't even cost much money for me to do it, but it was the symbolism of Mm. it. And I'll give you an example. When I lived in London in my 20s, I never, I was never warm enough, Mm. never. And I really could have gone and bought a secondhand because there's so many secondhand stores in London. Mm. But I just, there was something there about I have to suffer. I have to be inconvenienced. I don't deserve it. I never, I cannot believe I'm even saying this, I never the whole time the whole 10 years I lived in London, I never had an electric blanket. And how, I mean, they would have been 20 pounds at Argos. Oh, I sure, could yeah. have afforded. And, yeah. But that would have changed my whole life. But there was just something there. I never considered that I was allowed to be comfortable, that I was allowed to change my state because it was always, you know, as a kid, it was like you get what you're given mm, and you get what you get. Yes, you get what you get and you don't get upset. And I never felt like I had the right clothes as a kid. I never felt like I was warm enough in winter. I never felt like I was allowed to have the thing. Mm. I had to compromise and I had to suffer. And so that was just, that's my example. But sometimes there's something little that we're just putting up with and it could just be, it could be a screw to Mm. stop that squeaky chair. You know, it could be that you choose a, a different mug. It could be something like that. And then Whatever you have around you, use the best because if you if everything in your life is economy class and you're used to making do and you're used to suffering, this is where you're always going to be. And if you change your minimum standards, things do start to shift. You start to upgrade your boundaries with people. Maybe you have a little bit more confidence to put something out there for sale. Maybe, you know, you stop listening to people or that inner voice that tells you you're not good enough. And it is, sometimes it's an acclimatization, you know, and but we have this fantasy of going from here, I'm going to win the lottery. And that's why people lose all their money because they haven't acclimatized to it. Mm -hmm. The money isn't in alignment with their, who they think they are. And the way that we do it like this incrementally, one little thing at a time. And sometimes you make a mistake, you know, when sometimes you go, well, everyone else is doing that thing. So I must. And that was for me, that was high heels. I was like, when I started (laughs) making money, well, surely I have to wear high heels. And I was like, it didn't work. Right. I was like, oh, it doesn't work for me. So you will make mistakes. But what you're trying to do is raise everything Mm. so then it's who you are. Mm. You are acclimatizing to it. It becomes part of who you are. And I know it still sounds a little bit trite of like, oh, God, how can changing one thing? But it does because Mm. it's it's symbolic of what you're allowing into your life. And I, I don't think anything is too small to look at. You might go, man, that light flickers every single day. And you might realize it only takes two pounds to fix something, Mm. you know, but it's just that you, you, again, you feel like you have to suffer. You have to put up with things. Yeah. Um, And so nothing. This inherent thing is like, if we've worked hard, we deserve it. And this is it. And if it's been really difficult getting there, even better. Yeah. But I love this this kind of looking at everything around and just switching up small things because it's so true. It's like, it's like little things like I, I really enjoy just kind of, kind of getting a fresh juice delivered. It's small, but I just love it. It becomes like part of like, you know, if I've been doing training and I think I've not got a big gap, I can just have it delivered and have a lovely juice. And I've just recently started getting into adaptogenic coffee, which oh. is a game changer. Oh my game gosh. changer. Have you seen that film, <laughs> um, Limitless? Um, yes does it feel like that it feels like that it's like literally my to-do list is like done it's it's all plant-based you know it's all lovely share the brand with us I want to hear it was on um, it was on Dragon Den um, it's called London Nootropics and I literally it comes in a box of three you have a zen one 
um, for if you've had a really hectic day or you're you know, quite tired. There's a, a flow one and a, and a grind one. And honestly, it's it has been the biggest change in my life. This is this is just crazy, isn't it? How did I not find this before? So it is, it's switching up the little things and paying attention to what makes you feel good as well. And it is, I mean, I think the box yeah. is 10 pounds, you know. Well, it's, it's, it's all of those things that make you feel abundant. And we're kind of, um, remember when, not so much anymore, but definitely when I was growing up, it was always like, treat yourself. And it was like a two pound thing of chocolate you know or or it was like treat yourself with palm olive so you have nice soft hands while you're washing up oh my god we are just conditioned to think that the basic self-care stuff is just is a treat exactly so no wonder we kind of feel like we're not allowed to have stuff and I would say even if you're super super broke use what you have but use the best of what you have and make that your new normal you know and don't save things for best because you're trying to get yourself out of a situation and you deserve it you deserve it now and i'm a i'm a big thrift store shopper i love antique stores and things like that and the amount of things that i see that are still in their boxes from you know from people who have never used those glasses never used that beautiful mug mm-hmm. and i just think well that's that's what you have to do when when there literally is no money in there. You just have to feel abundant in any way you can because it gives you the energy to come up with a solution. Mm. That's what it does. Not because it's, you know, suddenly magic and your situation is going to change, but you deserve to feel good no matter what. Um, like today I put on I put on perfume, you know, and there's sometimes you just think, oh, no, I, I'll save that for best. And I'm like, well, no, I'm, I, I, I'm allowed to do it now. Wear your jewellery now. And then that that continues on. There's still different things that you can upgrade, you know, as, as you go. But pay attention to the stories. That's the useful thing to go, why aren't I allowed to wear my nice perfume every day? Why am I not allowed to use my special mug? Um, because then there's so much learning there. Yeah, my partner always goes on at me because I always get our lovely wine glasses out and I drink sparkling water from them because I want a nice glass with my drink. So, but he thinks that's crazy, but it is, it's, it's all these little things, aren't they? And I love this. I, I love this whole kind of ethos because everyone, every single one, the person who's listening to this can do one thing. And I, you know, I'd love to hear more about what people go off and do, but it could just be changing your work area and switching things up and just having more luxury and more lavishness around everything you do. And, you know, wearing red lipstick, if you're going to be on podcasts all day, just because you want to. And I love, I love this. I think it's, it can give such so much energy, I think in a day, can't it? In terms of, just I don't know feeling good because you do you feel better when you got your clothes on and you, you've done your hair and, and whatnot so but you just said one thing I just want to say where you said I'm changing your work environment something that I notice a lot of women do is they go oh I'll just work on the corner of the kitchen bench or something like that and they don't give themselves space mm. to to do their job or they go I'll oh, wait till my business is making more money before I get a laptop and they're working on something that's like so clunky and you know and there's always ways that you can upgrade secondhand or you can you know find some way to to get it cheaper for yourself but I find it's so symbolic around the space are you giving yourself space and time for your business dreams to flourish you know if you do need a little bit more childcare, I again I hear it oh my husband says when my business makes more money then we can do it and it's like it's a chicken or egg scenario. Like if you can afford it, but even if you can just have the audacity to take up space in your house mm-hmm. for your business dreams, then that's amazing. And I'll, I'll tell you a story about this too, right? So we we built this house um, a couple of years ago and my office is separate. So it's, you know, it's only a little walkway, but it's it's separate from the house. And it, it went in and out of the plans quite a few times because it was like, oh, we're over the you know, floor space. Oh, the neighbors are going to complain. All of these things. I had to really advocate for my own space again and again and again. And then you know what happened? We built the house. I didn't use this office for six months. Mm. Six months. I was working from my bed from because I didn't believe that I deserved it. And I felt guilty Mm. about having to advocate for this extra space just for myself. And this is already having a multi-million dollar business where I support everyone in my family. 
I still feel felt guilty about that. Mm-hmm. So I can imagine, you know, at the start of your business, if you're just feeling guilty about it and I'll oh, just take up this little thing, it's like, no, cr- create a space for you and your dreams to flourish. You know, even if it's you get a little backdrop and you're in your closet, which is what my friend Bushner, um, Bushra did. She started in her closet, but she had a oh, great wow. backdrop and no one even no one even knew. That's crazy. Oh, wow. I see, I see her all on social media all the time. We would never have known that. We would never have known that. I love it. Interview her about it. I'm going to, she's going to be next. I'm going to contact her. This is brilliant. brilliant. So in terms of obviously you've got your book coming out and um, what what's kind of your next steps? I mean, a lot of people will kind of think, well, Denise, like you've kind of done a lot, you know, where do you want to be? Are you thinking that kind of you've like hit a, a sweet spot is there more things that are coming what what's what's the future going to hold for you well I want to write a lot more books for sure and um so chill and prosper is my latest one with Hay House and that one comes out in July so let me just quickly plug it just so I can tick that off yeah. um I have a ton of amazing pre-order bonuses if you're listening pre-July and if you just go to denisedt.com slash prosper there are all the links to where you can buy it in Kindle and paperback and hardback and is that all the things? Audio. Yeah. Um, and then you can get all those bonuses, including a book. We're going to do a live book club as well, which will be really fun. Right. Um, so I know I've got more books in me for sure. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that I want to try and do is not sabotage my business by thinking, which I do every now and again, everyone's seen this everyone's seen this work. I'm not going to talk, talk about money boot camp anymore. And so I always have to, that is my quest is not, don't break your business. Mm. <laughs> don't break your business. Just keep on helping more people because there's always more people to help mm. and, and write more books. So I'm trying to just not overcomplicate things and, and keep it, keep it simple and hopefully more travel after, you know, when oh, we can yeah. travel again, I'd love to do more speaking tours and book tours and, um, I host retreats sometimes at my farm in the country. You know, just that kind of stuff would be fun too. But my big thing is um, every now and again, I just think, oh, maybe I should start a new business. <laughs> and it is just, it's my recurring sabotage. You know, I think when if I get momentarily bored, then it's time to throw everything in. And I know I'm not alone in that. People do that all the time. But it's just like, I just want to keep on helping people with their money mindset. That's it. Love it. Love it. Well, I think everyone's going to go and head on over. Even if you're listening to this Next year, everyone, you know, if you've not read the book, so it's three now in total, start from the beginning, work your way through and obviously go and connect with Denise online. But being so lovely just to hang out and uh, just. Oh, and I love people's ahas, by the way. So I'm at Denise DT at, on all my social media and that's DeniseDT.com as well. But um, I love hearing people's ahas. So feel free, tell me your money stories. It's my favorite thing is people telling me all their juicy money stories so I can find all of those extra nuances from all of our upbringings and all of those ahas that maybe I haven't considered too. So definitely reach out. I'd love to hear from you. Oh, perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Dawn of a New Era. And I'm sure we will connect again soon to hear the next part. But good luck with all your interviews. You will be amazing. And remember, obviously, time for Denise. <laughs> Thank you, Dawn. Take care, Denise. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Dawn of a New Era podcast and for your free checklist to find out how to boost your business for growth, profit, and success. And join our community. Go to dawnmcgrewer.com.